Acts chapter 2. This great account in Luke's, uh, that Luke has uh, of the, the, the church's history, frankly, early church history, and after Jesus ascends. But in Luke chapter 2, the Bible says this in verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together, together in one place. They were together in one place as one, right? And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared, key word, appeared. There weren't actually tongues on these people, but there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. As the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now, there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together. And they were bewildered because they were each one hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and marveled, saying, wait a minute, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And if you jump down to verse 11, and it says, and we hear them in our own tongues, speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, they're full of sweet wine. It's nine in the morning, by the way. But anyway, we'll get to that. I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend that I'm going to give you a whole, just so much. The wells, and the well of, of, again, of the history of Pentecost and what's going on here is massive. And it goes, and it's deep, and it goes back to, the, to Jewish history in the Old Testament. And starting there and working its way on, there's so much there. But I'm going to just tell you to keep it as simple as I can. Now, when I say that, I'm not sure what that means. But I want to keep it as simple as I can. And just share with you four things that I believe what Pentecost is all about. Four things that Pentecost is about. And we can find them as truths in the scripture. And there's something that if we've forgotten, we should reclaim again. If there's something we haven't experienced, we should seek the Lord and experience for ourselves. And if there's something we haven't practiced, we should start doing it. Really, really important. And by the way, I'm talking to myself, as I always do, and as we always do when we preach. And in particular, when I get to some of these points, if I pause, and I, I, it's because I'm convicted. And I, there's certain things in here I'm going to say that I feel like I have no right to say. But I still have to tell the truth, and I have to declare what the Word of God says, even if there's things I may not be doing, or you may not be doing. It's still the Word of God, and we need to ask Him to help us. Amen? So praise the Lord. First of all, Pentecost is about God's power. That's one thing. But Pentecost is about God's power. Man, I just, we were singing about that. Just having the, the dynamite, the dunamis, it's the word that's there, but having this power that invigorates us, that gives us everything we need to be successful, to be effective, to not be wasteful in what we do for His glory. Now, we are all not perfect, but His power is, and so that's why we need His power. And Pentecost is all about God's power. Acts chapter 1, if you look back in one chapter in, in Luke's account of Pentecost, 
and before Pentecost, and you read verses 8 through 10, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he says in verse 8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. As far away as possible, you'll be my witnesses when you receive that power from the Holy Spirit when I send him and he comes down. Listen, what does that power look like on the day of Pentecost? Is this some kind of power that we can hear so wrongly, and we've talked about this, where we have such power that we declare and we proclaim wealth upon ourselves, that we declare and proclaim healing on ourselves? Are those things possible? Can God heal? Yes. But we don't have that kind of power on demand, if you will, or that kind of power where we just tell God what to do and we do it because He lives in us. There's a lot of ridiculous things that you may have heard in your life or you may have even been exposed to some interesting, I'll leave it at that, teachings about how the power of God is at your disposal. I would argue that the power of God when He gives it to you is so that you are at His disposal. That you can, you will do whatever He wants you to do and not hesitate, and you will do it powerfully. See, I don't, I don't, I struggle with that too. But that's what He wants. You see, there's two powers we have to notice here that are manifest, that come with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. The first one is that there is a worshiping power that comes on the day of Pentecost. It's God's power, but it's a worshiping power. On the day of Pentecost, there was this incredible miracle. And it was when the Holy Spirit was given and sent to the earth to indwell those who were gods. Different languages or tongues were uttered. It was truly a God-given and God-directed event. I mean, it was all God. What happened? It was fulfillment of prophecy. And it was marvelous and something incredible to behold. And it freaked people out even, to be honest with you. That's what the Bible says. They were perplexed. What is going on with this Holy Spirit that's been sent and this craziness with all these, this, this, this worship, frankly, going on in different languages? Now, let me just make a little note here. Note that it was the Holy Spirit who caused this when he came, this worship to occur in this way. Now, unfortunately, unfortunately, you may have experienced, I have, or at least from a distance, and I have heard throughout the years, and even now I hear stories. Listen, I want to just clear something up. It's so important that you understand this. There are some even today, that think that they can train or teach someone to speak in tongues or how to actually speak in tongues. This is absolute nonsense. You can't teach someone how to speak in tongues and glorify God this way. You can't teach that. You can't tell somebody, well, if you kneel a certain way, if you hold your hands in a certain position, if you move your mouth in a certain way, if you repeat a certain phrase a hundred thousand times, can I just, in our tradition, can I just be honest with you? 
There was, this, there was this joke, even within like some of the Pentecostal uh, things, about how people were praying in these different languages because they were taught. And, and I, I'm not going to make light of this because I believe in the gift. Okay? Just to be clear. However, there was this thing that if you slow down what people are saying, they've been trained, that if you just said, she rode a Honda really fast a bunch of times, you would just say, she rode a Honda, she rode a Honda, she rode a Honda, and you would just say it over and over again. And you were speaking in tongues. That was, I mean, really. And my point is, I'm not trying, God knows. I believe in the gift. It's got to be God-given, the Holy Spirit. And when the power of God came, He took their, for, in this case, and he, it was fulfilling a prophecy, and they began to utter in these languages. You can't teach people. I think I've said that ten times. It's got to be God. It's got to be His power, not the creation of men or denominations or pastors or your, what, your tradition, whatever it is. It's got to be the Holy Spirit. Listen, what happened in Acts 2 was all God. It was all God. Note also that the tongues or languages that were spoken were understood by all the visitors who had come for the Feast of Pentecost. They understood in their own language that they were glorifying God. That sounds like worship to me if you're glorifying God. Isn't that what worship is? You're glorifying God. You're praising Him. We use those words interchangeably. And it was pointing to all of this as God's doing. God was doing this. Listen, I read in verse 11. They said, Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? It's incredible. The diversity is there. There are people from all over the world that have come to for this feast. The Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And they said, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. God was being glorified. This power came. Listen, the Holy Spirit will help you to worship God. The Holy Spirit will help you to worship God. In fact, you can't really worship God the way He wants without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps you to worship God in spirit and in truth. See, the chief aim of man is to worship God. God created us for that. But the devil has deceived In many ways, people concerning worship. For example, I'll give you just a little thing here. This is how some people go to worship, and they worship. They go to church. Oh, I I worshipped. I went to church, I worshipped. Maybe. They sit in a soft, comfortable, greenish chair. They hear great songs. They stare at the back of someone's head. Wondering what that thing on there is, anyway. <laughs> they barely whisper as they pretend to sing the song that's up on the screen. Then they listen to a 25-minute, okay, maybe 35-minute sermon about some religious theme or scripture or topic and stuff that they, that they want nothing to do with. They fight to stay awake. And they walk away and they call it worship. Is that you? Has that been you from time to time? 
See, if that's you, you're just a spectator. I'm not trying to, I'm not being mean, I'm just calling it as it is. You're a spectator, you're an observer. See, real worship demands participation. And I'm not talking about how loud your volume has to be. That's not the point. I'm not even talking about your posture. I'm just saying real worship demands participation. The Holy Spirit will help you to worship God in the Spirit. He will help you to lift your soul to God and touch His heart with your heart. Oh, and there's nothing like it when you connect. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And you want to just stay there and do that over and over again when you know that the Spirit has helped you to worship and you connect with God in such a way. There is nothing like it. And then you want to sound like King David wrote the psalm, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I don't want to be anywhere else. I'll just stay here over and over. But that's not reality, right? It can be on an ongoing basis where you are. But when you connect, we are empowered. There's power for worship. Boy, I spent a lot of time on that. But you know what? It's not just power for worship that happened that day. God's power it comes at Pentecost so that there's a witnessing power. There's worshiping power, and then there's witnessing power that we get at Pentecost, right? Telling and displaying what God has done through Christ to save us. They were telling about the marvelous deeds of God. And they didn't even know the Spirit was speaking through them in these tongues that these foreigners and these different people from nations could, could understand. And they're declaring how awesome God was. And they heard that message. One of the things that they were proclaiming, and I think that happened, and it's evidence in Peter's sermon. If you read later on in chapter 2, he starts preaching after this question is raised, what's going on? He preaches. And there is an incredible display of this power and a witness to this power. And if I, would, if I was in a courtroom and I would say, well, sh- prove it to me that there's, there's, there's power that's, that, that's happened, that I, would, I would simply come to you and say, I present to you Peter. The greatest, one of the greatest examples of change that happened when the Holy Spirit came. Prior to the Holy Spirit coming, that power, Peter would not witness. In fact, he denied who Jesus was three times before the rooster crowed. He was running away with his friends. And when Jesus was going away to Calvary, he stayed on the outskirts, kind of hiding. He was timid, afraid, and hiding with the disciples after Jesus' death. And even after his resurrection, even though he went to the tomb to see, he was hiding out, waiting, and petrified of the authorities because he didn't want to get in trouble for what was going on and what had happened. And then Pentecost. Then the Holy Spirit is sent. There's worshiping power, but now there's witnessing power. And Peter says, listen, let me tell you about Jesus. He's the one you crucified. He died for your sins. Repent and believe. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And by the way, do you remember me? He didn't even have to say that. They knew who he was. They knew what had gone on. And there's a transformation. There's a change. And it's just telling and displaying the marvelous power of God and what he's done in our lives and saving us and transforming our souls, our hearts, our minds, and our attitudes. But it's also telling about the dangers of a life of sin that leads to hell. That's what Peter did when he preached. Get saved. The Holy Spirit came and he filled them so he could witness and he preached and the church was teaching and preaching. Listen, salvation comes by Jesus alone. There is an eternity with God and without God. There's an eternity in hell. There's an eternity in heaven. And the Holy Spirit was speaking to people through these messages. There's a warning that has to happen uh, and we tell people of the dangers of that destination that is destruction. Let me ask you a question. How in the world can people claim to love God 
and serve God when they have no concern for the lost people around them. See, the Bible teaches very clearly. It's not my idea, it's not me, just to be, just to be clear. And I believe it. But the Bible teaches us that there is a hell. There is something called the lake of fire in the book of Revelation. And unbelievers whose names are not in the Lamb's book of life will be cast into that lake of fire. Oh man, God's so mean. Bob, you're so mean, Pastor Bob. Yeah, how can you say God's... Listen, there has to be... That, that's, that's the judgment that comes for not believing in Jesus and for choosing to live a life without Him. And you're lost in your sins. I'm not the judge. God is. Let me ask you another question. If your neighbor's house was on fire, and I'm assuming that most of you are good neighbors, right? If you're, you are. If your neighbor's house was on fire, would you be so spiritual that you would say, I see the flames. Lord, you see the flames too. Let me have a word of prayer. God, Lord, I just offer up to you. Lord, wake them up before they lose everything and die in that fire. Would you do that? I'm glad one person here wouldn't. You wouldn't even think about that. You, even if you're a Christian, I mean, I, I hope not, that, that we haven't gotten to that place, and yet somehow... In the spiritual realm of things, we have gotten to that place of comfort. And we just figure that the problems will take care of themselves. And we offer up prayers for people. And we never step in to be the one that warns and pulls people out. I'm getting ahead of myself. But that's what we're called to do. To witness by telling about what God has done, but also warn them about what's coming without God in your life. Listen. I plead with you, out of love for humanity and respect for life, that you would go and warn people and say, Get out! You're in danger of perishing. Come to safety while you can. And in the same way, out of respect for Christ who died for those people, for people who don't know Him yet, and out of love for lost people, for humanity in general, through the power of the Holy Spirit, The Spirit-filled Christian warns the lost. I will only reference Jude, the book before Revelation. You know, just 20-some verses. And in Jude, verse 20 and 23, he writes this, But you, dear friends, by building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. There's an anticipation. You're waiting for Jesus to come. And you're praying. But, but there's more to it. It's not just about praying in the Holy Spirit and then waiting for Christ's return. And I have hope. And I'm, I, I know I'm going to heaven. I'm waiting. I can't wait. I'm, I'm anticipating. But go to verse 22. Be merciful to those who doubt. 23. Save others by snatching them from the Fire! What does that mean? Destruction. Pull them out while you can. What the proverb says, he who saves souls is wise. Oh man, it's hard to even say this, but I've been a fool. I've been foolish. Way too often. When I know that I could 
possibly and probably be part of God's hand reaching out. My words and snatch someone and I, and I didn't either hold on or I, I didn't even reach out. Oh, that's convicting. I'm not guilting you. I'm not saying I feel guilty. I'm ashamed of that. And, and, I, and the Lord knows. It's his deal. But boy, we've got to learn from that. We've got to do all we can to snatch those from the fires. And it says, To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Don't tolerate sin and ungodliness. Call it out. Call it like it is. You can't have one foot in, one foot out. That's not, what, it's not how it works. You're either all in or, or you're not. I spent a lot of time on that, guys, I know. But it is the power of God at Pentecost. Secondly, they're not long. Secondly, there's God's presence. Pentecost is absolutely about God's power to worship and to witness and to warn. But secondly, Pentecost is about God's presence. Now, this goes hands in hand, hand in hand with power. You can't have the power of God without His presence. And you will not have His presence without His power because they're, they're, you can't separate them. So it's almost like I'm saying they're they're connected, but yet they're separate, right? God's presence. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 16, Peter is proclaiming what God has promised through Joel was being fulfilled right then and there. Peter stood up with the 11 in verse 14. He raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning, he said. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And it was being fulfilled right there, right then. You know, it's not just that it was prophetic and that the prophet Joel said this. Joel made that prophecy. God gave him that word. But Jesus himself said something absolutely powerful about God's presence. That his presence through the prophet would come upon all people. But now Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 16 and 17, he tells his disciples after they're having supper and he's talking to them before his betrayal in that room. And I will ask the Father, Jesus says, and he will give you another advocate or a helper to help you and be with you forever. It's not like he says, God's going to give you a helper, and then one day he's like, no, I'm going to take the helper back. No, you can have the helper. No, I'm going to take him back. He'll be with you forever. He'll be with you forever. And he says, the world cannot, the spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he lives, now get this, he lives with you and will be in you. In other words, you will not be alone. And Jesus says, it's better for you if I go. It's to your advantage in verse 7. It's to your advantage if Jesus left. Now think about this. How can it be? Why is it that there's an advantage? Well, think about this. If Jesus is ministering and Jesus is God and man, the Bible teaches us fully God and man, and Jesus is in Richmond, and he's there and he's teaching and he's doing miracles. And I got a question for him. Or I got an ailment and I need some help from him because he can do that miracle. And I live in South Kingstown. I got to get there. Even though he's God, Jesus is physically there. He's in one place at one time. That's it. Even though he's God and man. But Jesus, he's in one place at one time. And so he, 
He's limited in that sense. Yes, he will receive anyone that comes, and people came, and he, but he was in one place at one time. And yet, Jesus says it's to your advantage. Why? Because now, if the Spirit isn't just with you, but in you, you have that access anywhere you are at any time. And you have the Spirit of God in you. And you have access to God and to Jesus right there, on the spot, wherever you are, no matter. That is a huge advantage. Huge advantage. You don't have to drive to Florida where the latest revival is going on. I don't mean to mock that, but, but, I, but really, we, we become kind of crazy about stuff like that. We don't have to drive to Arkansas where the newest and latest and freshest outpouring is. I'm not saying you can't do that. I'm not, I'm not even going to tell you you can't do that. I'm just saying, he's right here, right? He's inside of you. Why do you have to run around and chase all this stuff when he's, he's accessible right here? He lives in you. The power is there. And to worship and to warn. And to, and to, why? He's there. In the Old Testament, if you read it, the Holy Spirit, God, came upon people. But in the New Testament, He filled and He came in. He indwelled people. That's the great difference. And John 16, no, it's amazing. In John 16, that God's Spirit comes upon us and He fills us. And in John 16, Jesus says the Holy Spirit indwells us. And then He brings conviction. He brings guidance. And He brings glory to God in our lives. You can read it there. Those are the three things that happen with the Holy Spirit. And not only that, if you jump forward to the Apostle Paul, he says about the Spirit, he says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Why is that significant? Because if I could go back to the picture of Jesus being in one place at one time in the flesh, in the Old Testament, with the tabernacle and even the temple, if I could use this language, for lack of a better way to put it, God's presence was stuck in one place. It was by design. It was what God, that was part of God's plan. He was stuck in one place. You know where he was stuck? Over the Ark of the Covenant between the cherubim in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and eventually in the temple. That's where God's presence was. It was one location, one place. And if you wanted access, it was once a year that the priest even came to God on behalf of the people into the Holy of Holies for their sins. But now... Anywhere, anytime. That's the awesome thing about the Holy Spirit. We are the temple and He lives inside of us, Paul said in chapter 6 of Corinthians. Now, Jerry Vines, he was a pastor and then he was involved with one of the denominations in the South. But he, he said something. He said that the average Christian and the average church are somewhere bogged down between Calvary and Pentecost. They have been to Calvary for pardon, but they have not been to Pentecost for power. Bethlehem means God with us. Calvary means God for us. But Pentecost means God in us. What a powerful truth that is that he stated. And we find ourselves stuck and we just because we say we're Christians and God lives in us, God still wants us to rely on Him and to surrender to Him and to be filled with His Spirit on an ongoing basis because it's available and He lives in us. And we got to, as we say, we got to tap in, man, and live that full life that He has for us. I'm moving along quickly. The third thing that Pentecost displays is God's plan. God's, what is God's plan? God's plan in Pentecost unfolded so that His church would be born. You know what happens once there, there's the power of God displayed for witness and there's worship going on? And Peter gets up and he preaches 
And there's an incredible thing that happens. There are immediate results. 3,000 people came to a saving knowledge of God's Son, Jesus Christ. They became part of the church, or became to be known as the church. God's called out people, and they became part of God's plan to continue to propagate the gospel and the message of reconciliation to God the Father. What an incredible thing. Now listen, really important to state this. The word Pentecost designates the 50th day after Passover, which was a Jewish Old Testament holiday, or it was a feast day, that's found in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 15 to 23. It was also known as the Feast of Weeks, or even more importantly and more usually, the Feast of Harvest. The Feast of Harvest. Now, why am I saying that? Because this is what the plan is all about. This is what Pentecost is all about. It displays God's plan, and God's plan has everything to do with the harvest. When the Jews celebrated this feast, they were celebrating the fact that their grain harvest had come in. They had plenty of it. They reaped it all in. They brought it in. They were celebrating and thanking God. It's no coincidence that on the day of Pentecost, this great harvest of 3,000 people came in to the kingdom of God. They were ready. Everything was set up. It was perfect. And on this day, the Holy Spirit is poured out on 120 followers of Jesus who were gathered in Jerusalem. And then, listen, it, something incredible emerged. These, these Jewish and Gentile who didn't like each other, these Jewish and Gentile believers are united into one body. And by the way, man, again, what a diverse group that was. The most diverse, it's an incredible picture of what heaven's going to be like and what it ought to be like here. We should show up and proclaim that and, and demonstrate that. And God uses them to labor for a harvest of people, Jews and Gentiles all together. Harvest is at the heart of Pentecost. Joel himself said in chapter 2, going back to the Old Testament again with that prophecy, but further on, he says, God has given you the former rain faithfully, and he will cause the rain to come down for you, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. And then he goes on to say that there's going to be this abundant harvest. There's two things necessary for a harvest. Early rain, which prepares the soil for the seed, and the latter rain, which matures the crop for the harvest. And then listen to what he says in chapter 3 of verse 9 in Joel. Proclaim this among the Gentiles. Then in verse 12, let the heathen be wakened. Verse 13, put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full. Everything's ready for the harvest. And verse 14, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. It's time to reap the harvest. Amen? The rain of the Holy Spirit is preparing the fruit of the earth for the harvest. I believe that. With everything we've been through, let me tell you something. If, you're, if your eyes aren't opened as a Christian to see that time is short, you've got to open them. You've got to open them wider. Because Jesus is coming soon. And the harvest is plentiful, Jesus says, but the laborers are few. And the way that we're going to be ready as laborers is that we're empowered by the Spirit to be a part of God's plan to bring it all in. Bring it all in. God has not given us the Holy Spirit to enjoy alone and for ourselves. Don't forget the needs of lost people, the people that God loves, that Christ died for, and the people that Christ told us 
to evangelize. Wait a minute, but, but there's no time left. There's so little time. That means we've got to get busy. We've got to wake up. Let me ask you a question, and I'm talking to myself. When are we going to wake up and forget our silly religious games that we play and mean business for God? That's piercing for me. It's uncomfortable to even say, ask that question of myself, but I ask you that. Because souls are hanging in the balance. And again, I'm not, it's not a guilt trip. Some will fall and some will topple, but we've got to go in the power of the Spirit to rescue them. Because you know what? The last thing that Pentecost is about, it's about a promise. Pentecost holds a promise. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 to 39, and as we come to a close, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise, there's that word. The promise, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. Yes, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even the furthest reaches of the earth. But there's another meaning here. It's even those who in our minds are too far gone. They're so terrible and they're despicable and they're disgusting and they're sinful and they're irreconcilable and you can't salvage them. Forget it. No, for those who are far off, for all those whom the Lord our God will call. I don't know who God's calling. He's calling a lot of people though. You don't know, but you've got to herald that He's coming, and that there's a promise. See, God is still calling people to salvation. Amen? So the promise is still good now. He still wants to give His Spirit. Let me ask you, before we pray, is He calling you? Is He calling you? Is He calling you to confess your sins? Because maybe you never have. Is He calling you to surrender your life to His Lordship and say, in my way, it's just sinful. I need you to take mastery of my life and help me to learn how to submit to your Lordship. Forgive me of my sins. Is that you? Is He calling you right now to receive that gift of the Holy Spirit so you could be empowered? Are you ready to repent of your sins? Maybe you have repented. Maybe you are a believer. Maybe you have received the Holy Spirit but you become motionless. You know, you're motionless because you're so caught up in the busyness of life and the responsibilities and you've lost sight of what matters and all it is is, well, you know what it is because you know who you are if that's you. You're moving a million miles an hour but nothing's happening. You're actually motionless when it comes to doing things for the Lord. And you're stuck in the comfortable knowledge that I'm God's and you are. But there's no motivation to serve and to participate in the harvest. And you might say, but Pastor Bob, I'm not an evangelist. Other people are. I have other gifts. And I have... But I will say to you right away, you have no excuse because are you a Christian? And if you tell me yes, I will say, then by default, you are a representative of Jesus Christ. You are an ambassador of who He is and what He values. So maybe, maybe, just maybe, 
It's time to wait on God and to submit to God and for some of us to visit Pentecost again. And then maybe if we do that, it can be said of us. It can be said of the church of Jesus Christ. What was said of Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 17 and verse 6. These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. I'm so afraid to say that it just feels, I can't go by feeling, but when you look, it feels far too often that the world has turned the church upside down. And yet, if you're full of the Spirit of God, we'll turn the world upside down because we're here and God's here in us and with us right now too. Lord, we come to you We ask for your help and your wisdom to fully understand what Pentecost is all about. I pray that today, each one of us, throughout today or this week, would examine what the scriptures say in Luke, I'm sorry, in Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2. To understand, Lord, and to allow your spirit to speak to us and to convict us and show us how we can walk in the fullness of your power. Lord, forgive us for taking lightly the activity of Your Spirit in our lives, for shrugging off Your convictions, for ignoring Your promptings to snatch someone away from destruction, or Lord, just simply being apathetic. Fill us again, I ask, that we might know for ourselves what Pentecost is. In Jesus' name. I pray. Amen.